It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this life. Educate yourself. I welcome anything that will help to protect the children for everyone. The same spiel we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, everyone. It's Thursday and you're welcome to the Opinion Line. Fiona in for PJ today and tomorrow. Now, we're looking out at a very miserable day, but we will have um, Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather joining us shortly to find out what the weather's going to be like for the weekend. What's it going to be like here in Cork if you've planned to stay around locally or if you are planning to head away somewhere else around the country or maybe somewhere across the continent if you're lucky enough to be getting on a flight this weekend. He'll have the latest on what's happening with the weather around the country. And if you are staying in Cork this weekend, we do have um, some information later on in the show about a really cool event that's happening on Saturday, um, which is World Circus Day. So we'll have some more on that as well. And some good news this morning. I was delighted to hear that the Cork City Fire Service have called off their industrial action. And we were speaking to Cork City Fire Brigade Shop Steward Billy Crowley on the show during the week, and he was explaining explaining to PJ that um, the retention and recruitment row that they've been having with Cork City Council had come to a bit of a stalemate and they were uh, left with no other choice but to take on industrial action on Friday but they're now going to the Labour Court so that's great and hopefully we can um, have that issue resolved. Also good news this morning we're hearing about the um, traffic changes to Brian Brew Street and we're going to be coming to that in a few minutes but first we want to go to Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent. He has some news on a body that was found in Spain yesterday. Good morning Ralph. Good morning, Fiona. Ralph, just tell us a little bit about this. The, there was a body found in um, Spain on a beach and we believe that the person is from Cork. That's right, Fiona. The person involved is a male in his late 40s. Now, we understand that he's from the East Cork area 
and the body was found on a beach and I suppose initially the, the thoughts were that it could have been a drowning tragedy or whatever mm. but the Spanish police have my understanding is that they've ruled out drowning uh, they sought a full post-mortem examination and now they're currently keeping an open mind on it but I think they do view the circumstances as suspicious and the nature of their, their ongoing investigation will be determined by the findings of that post-mortem examination now I'm told it happened in a very popular resort in the Costa del Sol area and that the man is in his late 40s and he had been living and working in Cork for, for some time but there's a bit of confusion about whether he was on an extended holiday in Spain or whether he had relocated and was working in Spain uh, but we know that the family have been unfortunately involved here, informed here in Cork of the tragedy and they are receiving support from the Department of Foreign Affairs. And our thoughts go out to them this morning. It's a very uh, tragic news to receive. Um, and Ralph, how did this discovery come about? Apparently, the indications are that there were a number of people walking on the beach and they came across um, this man's remains. Uh, the Guardia Seville and the tourist police were informed. And once I think there was there was essentially that it was viewed as not natural causes, mm. they basically got onto the Guardia Seville, which would be the senior um, police organization in Spain. Uh, they sealed off the scene. And they're currently trying to determine the last known movements of this um, man, who he was with, where he had been in the hours before his death. And they've, as I said, they've also requested a full post-mortem examination. And the indications from Spain are that the nature of the ongoing Spanish investigation will be informed by the results of that post-mortem. And their investigation, of course, un, um, unlike what we have over here, they will be viewing CCTV footage of the area and they will be talking to people in that area as well. Very much so, Fiona. It's, it's a very popular um, tourist area. There's a lot of businesses. There's there's significant amount of CCTV coverage. So they'll be going through that to try and determine um, the last known movements of this man, who he may have been with um, in, in the hours before his death, mm-hmm. and then trying to trace those individuals and speak with them about what they know about the circumstances of when he was last seen. Um, so it's an ongoing investigation. The family are being informed here. And of course, from their point of view, the priority is going to be you know, getting this man's remains repatriated. But I think the repatriation is going to be very much dependent on the nature of or what what type of investigation this turns out to be. Okay, thank you very much for bringing us up to date on that story. That was Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent and our thoughts and condolences do go out to the family of that man in Spain. Now, as I mentioned before, speaking to Ralph there, there has been an announcement this morning on traffic news here in Cork. Now, um, Joe Kavanagh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh is joining me now to explain um, a little bit more about this. Joe, it's um, the northbound lane on Brian Brew Street. Cars are going to be allowed to turn right from Patrick's Key and continue straight on up Summer Hill North. So this is going to be good news for traffic in the long term. Yeah, this is all part... Uh, good, sorry, good morning, Fiona. Good morning, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Fiona, um, this is a good news story, really, I suppose, because um, up to now, um, if you want to, if you're coming down the keys, we'll say, down past Horgan's Key, and you had to continue on down the keys down behind the Metropole Hotel and Patrick's Quay, turn up Bridge Street, go along McCurtain Street and go up Summer Hill. Mm. 
um, and it was cluttering up the keys for traffic that had to go straight on to go up north side up um, you know up by Shandon and so on yeah. so basically what this is doing this is all part of the uh, strategy to, to alleviate the pressures on areas like McCurtain Street uh, and like uh, rather than having it as being used as a kind of a, a true traffic zone, um, you know, we, we want to designate it as a, an area you go for a specific reason. And it is um, part, Joe, of the wider McCartan Street public transport improvement very much scheme. So. Very much so. You see the works, uh, people can see the works that are going on as far away as Anderson's Key there, you know, just... Um, you know, when you come over Brian Brew Bridge and swing an immediate left there, it's down to one lane. There's new footpaths been installed and there's a new bus lane going in, a bus stop going in there and so on. So it'll make it more pedestrian friendly, public transport friendly, and it'll be easier to access and making more use of the keys. And, and from a traffic flow, it'll make it, it, it'll try and alleviate congestion. So traffic coming down um, towards Patrick's Key will be able to turn right, just to simplify it, mm-hmm. uh, up, Brian, up Brian Brew Street, uh, you, and you can go straight up Summer Hill okay. from there. No, you will not be able, it's important to note, you won't be able to go up Brian Brew Street and swing a right and go down Lord Landway Road. That will not be possible. Okay. And Brian Bruce Street, for people who, like me, don't know the names of the streets in Cork City yet, (laughs) Brian Bruce Street is the one that's, when you come down McCartan Street, um, there's a junction there, Summerhill North is on the left, Lord Landmire Road straight ahead. And you turn right onto Brian Bruce Street to go over Brian Bruce Bridge. And at the minute, you can't actually go from the Keys up Brian Bruce Street, but that's going to change now. And that is coming into effect on Thursday. On the 21st, yeah. On the yeah. 21st. Yeah. So and there'll be loads of signage there, Fiona. Loads of signage directing, just advising drivers and so on that you can turn right here and turn left there and go straight up and you can turn right on Lord Landmine Road and so on. Mm. It's to ease the flow of traffic going up the north side, basically. And Joe, before this all kicks into place, will there be um, some disruptions to traffic as they try to bring this into place? No. Well, you would, there won't be any disruptions of traffic. Yeah. From there, what perspective? And uh, when the works are being implemented, when they're taking place, will there be any kind of disruptions? Will there be any road closures, or will there be any lane closures, or anything like that? Or is it just going to open up straight away? It's just going to open up straight away. It's just uh, redirecting traffic, really. All right. Okay. Fantastic. Re- uh, re- just redirecting traffic, and um, I like, uh, in fairness to uh, Cork City Council, have done uh, a great job in keeping people informed and uh, all the updates on the progress of these this uh, McCurtain Street traffic flow uh, project are available online on the Cork City Council website. And the whole project is hoped they hope to finish it. It's hoped to be completed uh, in mid. Uh, 2023 okay. um, and which will, which will um, mean that McCurtain Street will become a two-way uh, traffic and much lighter traffic-wise. We're trying to direct traffic away from uh, McCurtain Street so if you go there you go there because you have a reason to go there. It's not because you drive through it as mm-hmm. a through uh, as I won't say a rat run like but yeah. uh, as, as an area you drive through. It's an area you go to. Okay. Um, and I mean, I suppose it is better for businesses on that street in the long run because, yeah, yeah, it's... Um, because in fairness now, Fiona, and I'm just going to throw a little plump in for the traders there. The traders there have done an unbelievable job in developing um, that quarter of the city 
and um, it's, it's now an area, I remember 10 years ago, businesses uh, were starting and, and closing down within six months of each other, apart from the long established businesses. Mm-hmm. And now it's a thriving, growing area of the city. And it's a magnificent area of the city. It's an eating and drinking quarter. Uh, from a hospitality perspective, it's one of the biggest areas of the city. It's got a really good story to tell. Okay, brilliant. Councillor Joe Cavanagh, thank you very much for bringing us up to speed on those changes. As he said, those changes for Brian Baru Street are going to be coming into play from next Thursday, April 21st. Let us know what you think. 0818 96 96 96 or 083 396 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Every year, Cork people share their stories to support a very worthy cause. And each time, we're astonished by their amazing bravery. If you need a light to shine in. 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th for Cork Cancer Services. Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie. Email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. I'll be everything you wanted. I'll be there. The Giving for Living Radiothon. Supporting Cork Cancer Services. May 26th to 28th. Only on Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 On Cork's 96FM. Now, the Owenakura Centre in East Cork, as we all know, uh, is earmarked for closure. And last week, residents and their families were given a glimmer of hope when the Oireachtas Health Committee wrote to the Minister for Mental Health asking her to save the centre. And joining me now is Maureen O'Sullivan, whose brother has resided at Owen Akura for 10 years. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning. How are you? Maureen, this letter that was written to the health or the Minister for Mental Health, it obviously has given you guys a glimmer of hope at this stage. Well, it has from one perspective in that there's an unequivocal um, lack of confidence on the grounds that have been used to justify the closure. So, mm. in other words, or beliefs have been objectively backed up. But what we need to see now is action. So the first thing I'd like to say is Deputy Pat Buckley has come out and called on the Minister to reverse the decision in the wake of this letter. Um, We recently had a meeting with Deputies David Stanton and James O'Connor and they have privately expressed their support to us and so we're waiting for a public statement from them as well calling on the Minister to implement the, the recommendations of the Health Committee. Um, Sean Sherlock has released a Twitter statement and we'd also appreciate if that was backed up um, by more public statements. Now, what we need from the Minister is to reverse the decision unequivocally without delay. So no grace period, no kicking the closure down the road for six months, mm. no prolonging or torture, for the residents and the relatives and more uncertainty. And we need the Minister to commit to implementing the policies that are set out in Vision for Change. So the closure goes against those policies. Um, 
as I say, we have support now from the health committee. So what's the delay in implementing their recommendation? Failing this, unfortunately, we're going to have to escalate our protest and we will carry out a protest outside mm-hmm. the Taoiseach's office. Because Maureen, this is going on now, like the, the public announcement of the closure has been going on for, for nearly a year now. Yes. And as you said, it's been causing so much torture on yourselves mm-hmm. and, and the residents. What's it been like? Well, it's been absolute hell for me because, and for my brother, because our eldest brother died of COVID-19 on the 21st of January, uh, 2021. And that was like a bolt from the blue. He was about to retire. He had been shielding. He had been very careful. And very unfortunately, the bug got him just before the vaccination was rolled out. And so he died. Mm. So Ireland was in lockdown at the time. So I couldn't even go and see my brother to comfort him. Mm. And so who comforted him? It was the staff at the Ona Curra Centre. The nurses, the cleaners, all the staff that were there. And they were his family. So it's not just uh, a cold centre where people are processed as units, as we feel that the HSE management treats them. The staff at the centre, they don't just treat them as human beings. They treat them as family. So my brother was comforted by staff. Mm. So I'll never forget that. I mean, first of all, the centre saved his life 10 years ago. Because it, it basically brought him out of himself. Mm. So if you suffer from a long-term mental illness, it's a very, very lonely place. You're rejected by society. There's shame. There's difficulty in getting you treatment. So that at a later stage in his life, in his 40s, that he found the centre. And his life began, really, with Owen Akara. And I just assumed that it would carry on forever. But the fact that the announcement of the closure would happen. It's life-threatening. So I actually face a situation in which my second brother's life is being threatened. And every time we have tried to engage with management, we don't seem to have got anywhere. I have Mary Walsh on the phone. Her relative is also in um, Owenakura. Mary, good morning. It's actually Mary Hurley. Mary yeah. Hurley, sorry, Mary. Yeah, Good no morning. Problem. Now, you can hear morning. Maureen's upset and frustration mm-hmm. there, Mary. You're in the same situation. Yeah, um, and and I suppose it, it, we have this, you know, uh, we, have a, we have a family member who's a resident in Onakura as well. And the, the whole experience from start to finish has been um, deeply distressing and it continues to um, become more so um, in in light of the most recent um, series of objections to the um, proposed uh, facility in um, Carrigaline. I don't know if you're aware that there are 45 objections have gone in now okay. to, um, the, to, to, the, to, you know, to the change of use and I haven't seen them all but I've seen a sample of them and I suppose as someone who has a family member with um, a mental illness it's very distressing to um, you know, to hear, you know, people so, the residents so concerned and fearful of, you know, somebody like my sister. But I understand people 
people's fear because they haven't been consulted. They don't know um, what is going on. And they're in the dark, a bit like ourselves, actually. And that's been the, I suppose that's been the way this whole debacle has gone. Mm. Um, we have, on the one hand, people like the representatives of the Oireachtas Health Committee who are absolutely clear in their um, uh, examination of the issues and the facts here that this centre um, should be uh, should be saved and should be retained. The service should be retained. They've gone through um, all the planning and, or at least all the building um, objections with you know a fine tooth comb, and they're um, quite convinced that this thing can be turned around. Yes, we have the HSE who are ducking and diving. We we really feel um, we've had no recent communications with them at all since before Christmas. So it's been um, just a dreadful experience for us as family members who are trying to support the residents and the residents who are kept in the dark as a result. And the most upsetting thing for, for me in the last few days is is the idea that we're exposing our family members to um, um, a, a situation in, in Carrigaline where they're not welcome and where they, um, you know, they've been asked to, to leave a place where they're respected, where they they're feel at home, where they're attached. And yeah. it just does not make sense. It is just completely irrational. How many times do we have to keep repeating this to our local reps, to... Um, to the minister, to I suppose, and the HSE, the the centre needs to be saved, and the service needs to be retained. Simple as. And Mary, as Maureen was saying there, the committee backed up your, um, you know, your campaign and your statements. It said in its letter that we believe that the evidence presented by the HSE to justify the closure has been unconvincing and raises concerns about the ad hoc nature of the decision making process relating to capital infrastructure of mental health facilities. The, the fact that they have said that in their letter to Mary Butler, does that give you some hope that she is going to reverse this decision? We have to be hopeful. We have to be hopeful that there is there there is um, a reasoned um, response to this. I, I mean, we I suppose have so far um, uh, not um, had any um, uh, I suppose success with the HSE. They're not listening. They have switched. You know, they have switched off their. Um, I suppose we would feel their concern for these residents. The residents. Um, when the Rock the Health Committee came to visit, clearly um, um, iterated their um, their desire to stay in in Middleton, to stay in Onakura. The Health Committee heard that they met family members subsequent to that meeting, and they they were so moved and taken by the residents um, wanting to stay in Onakura. And it, it's just it's just beggars belief that the, um, the that there's all this talk about um, people, residents' will and preference, and yet mm. it's been completely ignored that, by the HSE. Yes, well, as Maureen was saying, hopefully this doesn't drag on and on and on and prolong everybody's agony and torture. Maureen and Mary, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. We'll be back after this. Now, Evelyn Welton is the founder of Confident Kids and Awesome Training. And Evelyn found out at the age of 37 that she was autistic. And she's now written a book. Um, It's called Standing Up for Myself. And Evelyn says that this is a book I wish I had when I was a kid. Good morning. Good morning, Evelyn. 
Morning, Fiona. Thanks well, for having me on. You're very welcome. Why is this the book that you wish you had as you were as a kid? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'd imagine it's probably an important book for all children, but particularly autistic kids or neurodivergent kids, um, because it's all about consent, really, boundaries, you know, autonomy, other people. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Quartz 96FM. Now, before the break, I was about to speak to Eveline Welton, the founder of Confident Kids and Awesome Training, and she's written a book called Standing Up For Myself. Good morning, Eveline. Take two. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> You're there. <laughs> oh. I don't know what happened there. The joys of technology, Eveline. The joys. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you were explaining to us about this book and why it's such an important book and it teaches such an important message for children and teenagers. Yeah, so the book is for kids who are around 9 to 15. Um, as, as you said earlier, I, I found out I was autistic uh, oh, seven, eight years ago now at this stage. Hmm. Um, so I, I suppose that's what I've been doing and I wanted to create, a, you know, I suppose I've been doing a lot of work around educating other people about it and I wanted to create some books for children um, because, you know, I suppose when you grow up different uh, uh, and, and a lot of time autistic kids are, you know, kind of subject to compliance training or being taught, you know, to be not themselves, really to be, um, to, to copy the social skills, let's say, or the way non-autistic people interact, hmm. um, which was kind of the go-to thing for, for, for decades, really. Um, and then, you know, I put up current research that was done in Edinburgh University um, in 2019 shows that actually autistic people have our, our own very effective way of communicating with each other, you know, same mm. as people who aren't autistic, you know, so I suppose the narrative was like, oh, we lacked these skills and we needed to be taught them. Um, but now we know that that's really not the case. Actually, we're really, you know, really good communicators. We just communicate in a different way. So I suppose I wanted to create a book for children that, you know, let them explore um, what you know, the way they communicate, how they can advocate for themselves. Um, uh, I think it's very important to give children that that space to advocate for themselves. You know, I think as adults, we're always talking for the children, yeah. um, and just to you know explore boundaries. Um, you know, the right to say no. I, I think we don't really. You know, for all children, really, we don't really give them that respect to autonomy. You know, everyday things, you know, even like school uniforms, different things. It's like, you know, actually that child has to do all these things. And we don't seem to be, um, you know, giving them the opportunity. And no is often seen as defiance, and particularly with autistic children. Um, you know, whereas really we should be respecting a child's right to say no. And I suppose the book is exploring that with, with children and teenagers. Um, and how to assert yourself and how to explain you know, uh, a lot of us are very sensitive to different things, whether it's sounds or lights or other people's feelings or, you know, colours, all that kind of stuff, and how to explain that to people um, in a way that they understand. Because sometimes, you know, a child might say, oh, that's too loud, and it might be dismissed. Mm. And it's just to kind of explain, you know, that, you know, I suppose good ways that you can actually get your point across to people and get your needs met, really, because I suppose that's what we all need at the end of the day is to be comfortable. Um 
Yeah, so, you know, I, I suppose explaining kind of power play to children as well, which is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, because you say in your book that you didn't know that you were a really sensitive person um, when you were a child and when you complained, people didn't listen, but your parents did, which was the important thing. But exactly. you're trying to kind of emphasise the point that children can be uh, sensitive and it's not something that, you know, and that it is something that should be taken seriously by the adults around them. Yes, I, I mean, and that's it because unfortunately, you know, if you're sensitive, then you're going to, you know, have maybe more sensitive reactions to your environment. But an adult maybe mightn't, you know, or if you're the only kid in the class, let's say, mm-hmm. who's saying, I, you know, who can't concentrate because, I, you know, there's maybe a lawnmower going out off, on a, or outside. Um, you know, that's really distracting. Things like that need to be taken into account. And sometimes people kind of judge the child's experience on their own, you know. So, I mean, you know, I would say, like, we don't all experience temperature the same way. You know, mm-hmm. if, we were, if we were 20 people in a room, some people are going to have their coats on, some people are going to be asking to turn on the heating, other people are going to want the window open and the air conditioning turned on. We don't actually experience our environment in the same way as human beings. And our emotions are tied into that because, you know, if you're tired you're going to experience things a bit differently than if you had a good night's sleep. If you're worried about something, that's going to impact your sensory system as well. So, you know, it's really about, I suppose, empowering children to to understand that about themselves and to explain it to other people and not be ashamed of it either Mm. because, like, I would have been quite a fussy eater, which is the wrong word completely. (laughs) I have a very limited diet, let's say. And just that kind of shame, you know, when people saying, you don't eat that, you don't eat, well, you're yeah. not, you know, as an adult even, you know, like, yeah, no, yeah. I don't, this is just what I eat. You know, yeah. <laughs> but even like a simple, gentle gesture, like a kiss on the forehead, I mean, that can completely overload somebody's senses, child's senses. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and I suppose, look, I, I worked with children for, you know, teaching drama for 20 years. And when I, I started exploring all this for myself, I was like, oh, you know, we don't actually even consider that in like circle time or where you're asking kids to hold hands with another child, mm-hmm. that they could actually be touch sensitive, you know, very tactile sensitive and that that might be overwhelming for them. It might be very uncomfortable. Um, you know, and sometimes we don't actually, you know, ask, and now that's kind of, I suppose, a, a good example of where we don't ask children for consent, yeah. you know, where we just say, everybody hold hands and it's kind of like an order given out and you know, it's not like, is everybody comfortable with this? If you're not, here's an option or we can do these, you know, here's what we can do instead because that is the re- only way to make things accessible is to really offer options to people rather than kind of having one rule for everybody because it just doesn't work. So your book, Standing Up For Myself, even though it's um, aimed at teenagers and, and children, um, there's a lot to be learned in it by adults as well, isn't there? There is. I look, to be honest, uh, it's stuff I learned myself in the past seven years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, boundaries, what are they? You mean yeah. I can say no to people? You know, and, and I suppose that's why I wanted to put it in. And it actually, it started as an adult book, which I, I will be, I will work on. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose, you know, just as I started breaking things down, I found, actually, you know what, this is going to be really good for teenagers. But I know some adults have, have used this already or are using it as well, you know, but... Um, and did you just, when you were saying there about learning to say no to people, did you find that a difficult process? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose, and this is the thing, because when you grow up autistic, and I didn't know I was autistic, but, you know, and, and I think just look, being a girl as well, the world kind of tells us, you know, you must please everybody, you know, yeah. and keep everybody else happy. And, you know, you learn early on to, to put other people's needs ahead of your own, 
even, you know, in the context of sensitivity, you kind of just learn to put up with things, even though you could be really uncomfortable in a situation. So all of those kind of messages, I suppose, if you're getting those messages daily over your lifetime or over your childhood, you know, it's going to lead you to a point where you just kind of think you're, you're there to exist to please other people, you know, that your autonomy and your comfort and your rights don't matter. Mm. Um, so like as an adult, for me, it was, um, and I had a brilliant um, um, sound, sound scare, and that was actually before I found out I was autistic, um, you know, who in my 30s, you know, we started exploring boundaries and I was like, Nobody can tell me how I feel. What? My whole life <laughs> telling me how I should feel or that I'm overreacting or too sensitive or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, and it was just actually, and I suppose that's the thing with boundaries. It's like, I just found, it was like something I had to really work on consciously, like actually saying no to people or, you know, I'd always offer to help people. Um, and then you end up overstretched because you kind of keep just doing things for the people. You know? yeah. um, and it was very conscious in the beginning, but I found over the past, you know, number of years, I suppose, since I have been unpacking trauma and, you know, kind of reconnecting to who I am and finding out I'm autistic and all that kind of stuff, that actually boundaries fall into place much nat- more naturally, you know, the more kind of, I suppose, the higher your self-esteem goes and the more self-worth you have. So I suppose mm. sometimes it is that struggle of, um, you know, trying to put those boundaries in place when it doesn't feel very natural because you're just not used to doing it. Yeah. And Evelyn, your book, Standing Up For Myself, it has been recommended by Therapist Neurodiversity Collective International. And it says here, as a perfect alternative to social skills training. Yes. Yeah, because, and I suppose that's, that's the thing, because, you know, there's loads of programs out there um, teaching autistic children social skills based mm. on the idea that we lack social skills, but sure we don't. So, you know, all those programs are based on teaching an autistic child you know, to think of what how their behavior impacts someone else and, you know, what other people will think if they're doing something or saying something. And, you know, we communicate quite directly and straightforward. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, across any cultures, you're going to have miscommunication. You're going, you know, we have differences. We just need to learn to coexist and accept people. And that, you know, if an autistic person is saying something, it's not meant, you know, as an insult or, or you know, it's literally just how we communicate. We use language in quite a different way. Um, and just straightforward, we, we, we were saying what we mean. Um, and it's, it's just, yeah, I suppose it, like the Therapist Collective or a group of therapists internationally who, you know, are working to, to stop that kind of behavioural therapy for, for autistic yeah. children. And um, yeah, so my book is the first book that they, an only book that they've recommended to therapists okay. to use. And where can um, people get the book? Process. Um, and it's for parents as well, I suppose, just to say yeah. that. And schools. <laughs> um, they can, they can, at the moment, they can get it on awesometraining.com or they can get it on uh, counsellingkids.ie and it will be on Amazon in a few weeks. Time, so. Great stuff. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. We got there eventually. <laughs> thank you so much, Fiona. Have a great day. Thank you. You Bye. too. That was Evelyn Welton and her book is Standing Up For Myself. Now, as I said at the start um, of the show, we would be catching up with Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather about what the weather outlook is going to be for the Easter Bank holiday weekend. Good morning, Alan. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Alan, at the start of the week, I was hearing reports of mini heat waves, but there's no sign of a mini heat wave out here in Cork this morning. <laughs> no, well, it is mild. It was it was up to 12 degrees, actually, at Valencia Station at 8 o'clock this morning. So it, it, it is actually quite mild, but certainly no heat wave. Certainly yeah. no heat wave. <laughs> and are we going to have a heat wave? <laughs> Uh, not unless you're getting on a plane, no. Okay. It's it's uh, it's looking a bit mixed. Um, so 
tomorrow will probably be the best day and I know like me most people will be working but if some yeah. people still get good Friday off um, there will be some sunny spells tomorrow um, it'll be a wet start but it'll dry up and there will be some sunny spells and it'll get up to maybe 16, 17 degrees tomorrow okay. um, so that's probably the, that's probably the best part of, of, of the weekend if you want to call it Friday the weekend um, Saturday then is going to be a dull kind of damp day now Cork will avoid a lot of the heavy rain. The west of the country will see more rainfall, um, but it will be drizzly, kind of patchy, dull, damp day, and it'll probably only be about 12 or 13 degrees, maybe 14 with the cloud. So not a particularly nice day, but not a washout. However, Saturday night, if you're heading out on the town, it is going to get wet. It's going to turn very wet on Saturday night for a time. That band of consistent, persistent rain will clear away on Sunday, but then we have some very heavy showers following in behind. But there will be some sunny spells, um, so it's kind of a might find a gap in the showers on, on Easter Sunday to get out for a bit of a walk or whatever. Okay. Um, but a very very mixed bag, and then turning much colder from Sunday night for Easter Monday, which looks. Uh, a showery day, but some sunny spells on Monday, but feeling much fresher and cooler. So if anybody had ideas of having a barbecue for the Easter bank holiday weekend, they could be putting it back into the shed right now, yeah? <laughs> yeah, unless you're really a diehard barbecue and you have the umbrella and do it Irish style, have somebody hold the umbrella over you while you barbecue, yeah, I'm afraid so. And what parts of the country are going to get the best weather? For anybody who maybe so has the- plans to travel over the bank holiday weekend... Yeah, so the east of the country will will see the better weather on Saturday. Um, But then probably the west of the country will kind of see a clearance quicker on Sunday. But then the showers come in from the west. So there's probably no escaping it really, but the east of the country might just work out that little bit better. I suppose the only escape is if you're hopping on a plane and going over to Spain or Portugal or somewhere like that. Well, I, I was just looking at that um, before I came on with you and mm. I have some relations in Lanzarote and I sent them a message telling them to be very careful on Sunday and mind their Easter eggs because they're going to melt very quickly. Because <laughs> it's, it's going to get up to 33 degrees in Lanzarote on Sunday. And like, is that, that's not normal for there for this time of the year, is it? No, no. It, it, and it's only for a couple of days, really. It's generally around 22, 23, a little bit higher. But yeah. They're, they're going to get a bit of a mini kind of blast of heat on um, Saturday and Sunday. So if anybody is heading to the Canary Islands for Easter weekend, it's going to be a sizzler out there. And even in uh, Marbella, the south of Spain, it's going to be up to 30 degrees on Easter Sunday as well. Um, so if you're heading if you're heading south um, on that plane, it's it's going to be much much warmer, um, but not 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 quite as warm in kind of France and uh, Portugal. Not, well, Portugal will be up to probably mid twenties, but France will only be about twenty degrees. But actually, it will get up to twenty, 20 degrees. I take degrees. that, Alan. <laughs> we take that. Well, you don't. You don't have to go too far. If you if you if you head across the Irish Sea, it's going to be twenty twenty one degrees in uh, South East England. So London will be up to twenty twenty one degrees, and they won't have any rain either. So okay, yeah. All right. So is it too late to book a flight? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're joining us with the queues. You might want to start queuing now. Although I suppose everyone should head for Cork Airport. Yeah, well, this is it. Talking about Dublin Airport, <laughs> we should all head for Cork. Brilliant. So uh, not great here, but a heat wave elsewhere. So if you're looking for 
um, a blast of hot weather get on, get on a plane otherwise you can stay here and enjoy the drizzle and the grey skies <laughs> yeah yeah brilliant indeed well it, it will it will get cooler next week as well so just uh, bear that in mind maybe how cooler like are you talking about like you know one two degrees <laughs> Well, it'll, there could be some frost tonight if we get clear spells, but it probably won't get above double fi- double figures in some areas um, for, for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So, yeah, the fires will be burning. That turf will still be burning. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't mention the turf. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, thanks so much for bringing us up to date on that. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. That was Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona in for PJ on the Opinion Line this Thursday. Uh, thank you for the comments that have been coming in to us with relation to Owen Akura. Kate says, Carrigaline Place is now bought and what will happen to it if Owen Akura Centre stays open? Marie says, this is a national issue that has come to light by what's happening in Middleton. We need to get out and protest. Mental health is at crisis point in this country. In relation to the road changes to Brian Baru Street, Jimmy has been on to say, hopefully our current planners have more foresight than those guys that destroyed the infrastructure in the city and county back in the 60s. There used to at one stage be a two-way South Mall, railways and trams. All of those are needed now with climate change. And Councillor Ted Tynan has been on um, about the home heating oil. He says there's a perception that home heating oil is a rural issue. I have had a number of people contact me in Mayfield as to why the Minister did not include it for a VAT reduction. It's unfair on these people. And if anybody wants to talk to us about that home heating oil issue in the city, the number or in the county, uh, the number is 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Our email is opinion at 96fm.ie Now, I couldn't believe it when I was reading this morning uh, or during the week that we hear all the time about how there's a shortage of junior doctors in this country but did you know that to get into the graduate entry medicine students um, course, it costs between 15000 and 16500 per year depending on the university and for a lot of students, obviously they need to get a loan in order to be able to do this and the only place where they could get a loan was the Bank of Ireland and now Bank of Ireland announced this week that it's going to be stopping that loan which means for many, many people who want to pursue a career in medicine, um, it's not going to be a possibility. Joining me now is Laura Dowling. Good morning, Laura. Hi there, Fiona. How are you? I'm well. You were obviously really shocked when you heard that Bank of Ireland is going to be stopping this loan. Yes, absolutely. It was the it's the only loan that we have available to us that has specific um, terms on it that uh, that enable us to be in college for for a couple of years. One of which is a moratorium where we don't have to start paying it back until we start working. Hmm. That no other bank offers us. Um, so it just means that it's our it's our only option of financing um, that is really uh, suitable for the for the for the university program, yeah. and it's and it's just being taken away and it's it, it's being stopped on the thirty first of July of this year, which means that new new entrants into the course who will be getting their offers on the eighth of August 
are entirely excluded from it. And it just means that that unless you have the the 65,000 euro in your back pocket or you have access to borrowing it from from a family member or a friend or something Mm. you don't have a way to to actually get to get financial support for the course it's expensive to begin with and nobody's looking for a handout or anything of the sort it's just Mm. financial support to be able to to go through college and it means as you said there that uh, an awful lot of people are going to be excluded from this program so somebody who doesn't have like the financial means to you know, to get into this program, they could be the best doctor yep. in the world. They might have all the skills yeah. and the talents needed, but they don't have the money, which seems yeah. so unfair. No, 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 uh, absolutely. So unless, unless you can, uh, honestly, the only option that you have um, is is borrowing it from somebody or getting a gift or somebody paying for it for you. If you if you don't have the financial means, which excludes an overwhelming amount of of people in the country. What's it like in other countries? Do you think that this is going to force people to go elsewhere? And certainly, I mean, just in one of our closest neighbours in Scotland, um, they their graduate medicine programmes have no fees. Um, uh, and then they also offer a bursary system whereby uh, you can get uh, four or five thousand uh, pounds from the Scottish government to assist with rent and the cost of living. Mm. And in exchange for that, you commit time to, to NHS Scotland. Um, even in Derry, um, the the there's a new graduate entry medicine course there, and the fees are about three thousand or four thousand pounds. Why are they so high here? <laughs> I, I so the so the the cost per year um for for an EU student for the government is is or the cost is twenty is twenty five thousand euro hmm. so we pay sixteen thousand of that so they would say that they already subsidise us by nine okay. grand per year and I mean it's it's an expensive process nobody is suggesting that training a doctor is cheap you know yeah. and it's also a huge undertaking for someone to go back after having done their first degree and and availed of you know the the EU fees for um of of two or three thousand euro a year for for college for that it's a, it it is a big undertaking and nobody's suggesting that it's that it's a cheap process but we're just we're just at a loss here in terms of where we can actually access the financial support for it yeah you know like and, you've and written, I mean even yeah sorry you've written a, a letter to the Bank of Ireland and you've also addressed it to Pascal Donoghue Simon Harris Leo Faradkar mm-hmm. Stephen mm-hmm. Donnelly Mary Lou MacDonald mm-hmm. the HSE has anyone come back to you? Um, so se- several TDs have um, from a from a variety of parties, and and listen, the, the the fees issue is not something that's new to the government. We we had a we had a movement last year to try and stop the fees from increasing year on year. So mm-hmm. so we've brought this issue to them before. So now I suppose it's specifically the issue to do with the banks uh, and not having financial support. So um, the uh, Social Democrats have been very receptive. Um, Labour have been very receptive. Um, and a couple of uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael TDs also have as well. But whether they can make a change or not is another thing. No, so so we do intend on bringing um, questions to Minister Simon Harris in May um, and I suppose we, we think that he's probably the, the most likely 
uh, or the most influential person in this field that may be able to um, to, to to set up some arrangement with the Bank of Ireland. Or, mm. uh, I mean, a, a lot of graduate entry medicine students suggest something like a bursary scheme, like what exists in Scotland, which will both facilitate retention of doctors within the health service, which, as you mentioned at the start of this conversation, is a huge issue in the at, at the outset, um, uh, or 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 just just helping us with some sort of financial financial mm-hmm. support. And I mean, I should mention that the, there's a six point five percent APR on the Bank of Ireland loan as it is, and you've a, it's a fourteen year term. So by the end, like so, you've a, but you've a four year moratorium on it. If you access a full sixty thousand euro, you end up paying back one hundred and four thousand. So it's not as though it was, you know, interest free or a low interest rate. I mean, it was it was very high to begin with. And, and people were willing to do that because they really wanted to, to, to be and work as doctors. So it's not as though we're looking for um, we're just looking for support, really. Yeah. And hopefully you get it because, I mean, I'm sure there are many students like yourself who are, you know, really, really passionate about what you're doing, well able to communicate, well able to talk and get your point across, which is such an important part of being a doctor. Um, and I've no doubt that you're going to be an excellent doctor, Laura. But, um, do you know, it just, um, it must be really frustrating for, for you that, you know, you have all of these years of study and everything and, um, you know, it's it's just it's that this financial issue is just hanging over everybody's heads. Uh, absolutely, and the the design of graduate entry medicine in the first place, when it when it was first introduced in Ireland, was to try to bring diversity into the into medicine as a career. Mm. So bring people from different backgrounds. Like in my class, there's there's people who did accountancy as their first degree. There are people there. There's somebody who studied dance at university level who's who's gone back to do medicine. So the design of it is to bring diversity. But if if it becomes financially exclusive, that that the whole aim of graduate entry medicine is just going to be lost. Yeah. It's going to just be the people who have who have the financial means to to, to fund sixty five thousand euro just on the fees, let alone the cost of living. But this is uh, so it's just it's. You know, you it's a huge there, financial undertaking. And you were talking there about the repayments, the high repayments. Um, is that another mm-hmm. reason why a lot of people, when they're finished med school, go abroad? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. After their intern year, because mm. uh, you can, you can, the 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 wages are are higher in in somewhere like Australia, which there's a, a huge brain drain too. Mm. Um, and th- people do go there. Um, because I think the I've spoken to to junior doctors um who have done the graduate entry medicine program, and the repayments are between eight hundred and a thousand euro a month, which is you know for most people a mortgage. Mm. God. Um, and you yourself, would you like to stay here or are you planning to go abroad? I would love to I would love to stay in Ireland. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh yeah, no absolutely. Um but it it may it may end up coming to it. I mean, I'm sure that you know about the the campaign going on at the moment for non-consultant hospital doctors to mm. like they're they're potentially going to go on strike because of the working conditions. So, I'd never say never. I'd love to stay in Ireland. I'm really passionate about healthcare in Ireland, mm. but it it may it may come to it that 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 you do have to leave. Um which is not is not yeah. it's not an outcome that I would that I would want. I in an ideal world, I'd love to stay in Ireland and work within the Irish health system. And we are hoping to talk to some of those non-consultant doctors on Tuesday, actually, as you mentioned it. Um, so it is. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah. Um, and hopefully you do get to stay in Ireland because you know we we need junior doctors here in Ireland. We know that, and it would be such a shame to lose people like yourself over something like this. Yeah. 
Um, it's 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 just it it just seems. It's it's an issue, I suppose, that a, that not a lot of like the public really are aware of. And um, mm. when you when you say when I say it to anybody that 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 I know what the fees are, the draws drop, yeah. you know. And now to hear that the one financial institution that provided support for it, it is now withdrawing that support um, before the next tranche of students come in, it's just really disheartening. And it is just going to exclude, as you say, an awful lot of people from 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 even considering mm. going into graduate entry medicine, which is which. Didn't like which defies the whole aim of the course in the first place. Yeah, Laura, I can hear you're frustrated. Uh, you know, we are looking to have people who care so much, um, and hopefully, we can find a way forward with this. That was Laura Dowling. Thank you so much for joining us on the opinion line here this morning, Laura, and explaining that issue. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 On Cork's 96FM. Now, the pandemic has given us all um, an opportunity, I suppose, to reflect on our career and what we're doing with our lives. And, um, you know, a lot of people have made changes. They've maybe um, tried to have a more relaxed type of lifestyle. And um, but when you're when you're when you want to change your career, are you doing it for the right reasons? And to help us through this is Quiva Burke. She's a consultant uh, um, with Burke Consulting HR. Good morning, Quiva. Good morning, Fiona. How's it going today? Uh, very well, Quiva. So, do you know, we often, you know, I'm sure there's the vast majority of us have thought about a career change at some stage in our lives, but there are a number of questions that we should look at before we, we change because it could be a situation where the grass is always greener on the other side. We, we change career and we might be doing it for completely the wrong reasons. Um, so there is, a, there, there, there's, there's a list of about 11 questions that we really need to be looking at. Is that right? There is well, like as in, I, I would take the eleven and we'll we'll, we'll distill this down for the purpose yeah. of today, right? <laughs> so I guess the first thing I want to say is that there's there's two things, right? There's a job. The job is the position that you currently are in in order to earn a living and pay the bills, and then mm. a career is something that spans a lifetime. So I like, take your your for example yourself, Fiona. Like I'm sure when you started off your career, did you did you feel like today <laughs> this is where you were going to be, right? So Not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but you're fabulous at it. So basically, <laughs> you you. You build a career, right? And the idea is that, like, I think people have this idea, like this five to ten year plan. But if COVID and just life has taught us anything, that five to ten year plan really needs to be taken back a step mm. in order to build, because things change, circumstances change, everything changes. So, what I would be suggesting to people is to first ask themselves: Are you happy? Right? Are you happy in your current gig? If it's scoring anything less than I would say a seven out of ten then it is time to take a step back and decide what is it that makes you happy. Now, again, speaking to the grass is always greener. There's always going to be aspects of your job that you don't particularly love. It might be the administration side. It might be the travel side. Mm. It might be the number of meetings. But on the all, if like somebody is there, they're invested in your development, you're enjoying what you're doing day to day, you work with a wonderful team, then it's okay to sit still right? You will have time to continue to hopefully build on your career in that current position. And if in time that starts to wane, 
that is when you would potentially start to look. But before you look, like if you are unhappy with a certain element of your career, um, whether it be, as you said, the commute or somebody in your office or, you know, the admin work or whatever, um, rather than changing career altogether, should you be looking at um, what you're doing and and ways that you could change things in your job and in your career where you are now to try and make you a little bit happier? Absolutely. But I think the first thing is always to have a conversation if there's somebody that you trust, if there's a manager that you get on really well with, like talk to them maybe about their career, if that's something that you're aspiring to. Mm. There's also, you know, you could look at courses, right? Like there's wonderful opportunities that are very, very low cost, like even through the local enterprise office, if you're curious to find out a little bit more, if you're not entirely sure what you're, you know, what it is that you might really, really love, like getting exposure or even doing information interviews like a lot of HR departments and I know they're incredibly busy right now but maybe there's people within your network that are doing something that you're keen to know more about Mm. so why not set up and have a coffee with them and actually understand a bit more before you make that leap now if you do make that leap sometimes you have to take a step back to bounce forward so it's a little game It, it can be a game of patience if it's not very clear to you where it is you want to go and then you know it takes time sometimes to make those steps. So I guess if, if you want to make the move, that's great. Educate yourself, understand from others in the profession what it is it will take and then take make a plan for the next year, timestamp it mm. to work towards that. And if you have a career goal and you've had that career goal since, you know, forever, like even when you went to college, say like, for example, if you wanted to be a doctor and you went to university and you did all that and then you became a doctor and after five years you decided, okay, this is not for me. Um, like that, it, it's, it's a big thing to rethink your career goal, isn't it? Yeah massive after after that investment and that time and energy but there's there's so many things like you know taking the medical profession as an example like maybe you want to go into research or more of a consultative role like there's definitely opportunities if you have maybe built a career in medicine business whatever the case may be where you Mm. can take the skills that you have learned it's called you know your transferable skill set and then work that into something that makes more sense to you and, and and is more meaningful to you because we spend so much of our time every day doing what we do there's no joy in being miserable or not you know completely satisfied by that now as i said complete satisfaction none of us are going to get that every day so you've got to be realistic in that regard but there's definitely ways in which you can make moves or take steps to get to a happier more fulfilling place Mm. and even with upskilling i mean you know, you mentioned that about upskilling and and looking at that. And again, I suppose that could make you happier in the job that you're in without necessarily completely changing your career. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think knowledge is power. So like as in if you you understand something a little bit more deeply and you know maybe be it the questions to ask or the right person to talk to to maybe help you mobilize in a particular direction or to give you experience, right? A big thing is is that within the majority of organizations, like even smaller businesses, there's there's lots of opportunities that aren't necessarily apparent to you in your day-to-day because you're just, Mm. you know, you're on the hamster wheel, you're doing your thing. So you, you learn a little bit more, you do a course, you have these discussions with management or with people externally and then you kind of look into and be like, well, is there opportunity for me here to try something in marketing? Like, wouldn't it be great if I developed, like, you know, more of a social media presence for this business that I work with? And are those opportunities there? So, yeah, absolutely looking internally. It's it's a great place to start because they know you and trust you. 
And Quiva, what about flexibility? I mean, we've all had a taste now of working remotely and many people are slowly coming back to the office. Other companies have insisted that employees come back to the office full time and maybe that doesn't suit somebody. Maybe they like the whole flexibility of being able to do some days at home and they don't want to be in an office full time. Would that be a reason then for you to decide to maybe look elsewhere? Uh, yes and no. Like there are certain professions where, you know, unfortunately you just, you can't, you cannot work from home mm. full time, right? If you're a doctor like a or a nurse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Well, now maybe you can set up a box in your home, but like <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's just not practical. Like mm. for me personally, I'm a huge proponent where it can be accommodated of like a blended work environment. So mm. whereby you're in the office two kind of max three days a week and then the rest of the time you're at home. And like the studies are there, right? They're coming out more and more as the, as the weeks and months go by where it's like people aren't seeing that massive dip in productivity. They're not seeing issues with efficiency, with work getting done. People are more engaged. People are less likely to quit. I think employers that are potentially are resistant to not embracing it where it can be embraced is mm. going to create an issue for you long term when it comes to retention. Um, but again, I think people also, you know, we've kind of got a little bit of social anxiety coming out of COVID and getting back, you know, onto the busy buses and getting back into the office. It, it, is, a, it is a point of concern for people still, even though COVID, while it's there, it's less that. It's more just having to be around in a busy environment. But it's so important to connect with your peers, to connect with your colleagues, to see them face to face. And at the junior and mid levels, you know, picking up like social nuances, like you're in a meeting, how the CEO, you know, conducts themselves or how Mm. reports are being prepared and presented in person. Virtual has been wonderful, but you can't underestimate the benefit of being face to face with people. It's 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 the blend. I think the blend is the place to be, but if you're not getting that and you want it, you can be sure there are employers out there that are accommodating that. And Quiva, if there is anyone out there this morning listening to this and are in agreement that, okay, yeah, it's time now for me to change my career and um, I need, but but they're looking at their CV and it needs to be updated, it needs a bit of work. What kind of advice would you give to those people? Um, I would say um, start with a template uh, insofar as there's Etsy is a wonderful example of a free resource where you can get email or sorry, email, excuse me, CV templates, mm. right? So look, CVs have actually, they've they've come of age. They're, they're not just black and white text anymore. There's a little bit, there's a little bit more, um, uh, finesse and fun to them I would say now the content is still the content but just the presentation is key particularly dependent on the role that you're after so I would say take a look at your CV take the time to do it well a, a CV to do it well takes a few days it doesn't get done overnight mm. and it would where possible if you have people in your circle or people that you know that can provide input that would be great think about that transferable skill set that I touched on as well if you have time and you're thinking about you know upskilling or reskilling look at the available course options they don't have to be expensive and as I said informational interviews a great place to get a taste of what's out there and what might be a good next step for you in the next one to three years. And for a lot of people who might be afraid that their CV is just, you know, a boring two-page um, yeah. <laughs> description of what they're doing and other people might have TikTok videos or they might have, like, videos yeah. to accompany their CVs or whatever. Like, totally. does, it, does it matter what kind of a format it comes in or is it just getting the relevant information out there in as clearly and concise a way as possible? As clearly and concise way as possible. Like, the amount of spelling errors, grammatical errors, the lack of thought that goes into... CVs and this is just speaking from personal experience it's yeah. astounding like really? you need oh my god yes you need to take your time to do it properly and do it well it doesn't have to be all bells and whistles and include fancy video links it mm. just it needs to be a representation of you but like 
you're looking as a as a hiring manager, you're looking at like you could be looking at hundreds upon hundreds of CVs a week. So take the job spec. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply that you're looking at, that you're applying for, and try and work elements of that job spec into the CV. Mm-hmm. If you really want the gig, you need to stand out. And if I'm not seeing that you've got experience with a particular technology or you haven't made an effort to say, okay, well, I don't have this, but I have that, I'm just going to go on to the next CV, right? Brilliant. So it's important to to make the effort. It's Quiva Burke of Burke Consulting HR. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696 On Cork's 96FM. Now, prolonged grief disorder affects around 40% of people. And joining me now to talk about this is Liz Gleeson, who's a grief therapist. And she is also the host of the podcast Shapes of Grief. So Liz Gleeson, you're a psychotherapist who specialises in the field of loss. And you're here today to talk to us about prolonged grief disorder. Now, we know that grief affects everybody differently. But what exactly is prolonged grief disorder and how does it affect a person? Yeah, and I think it's really important, Fiona, to put it into context here. And um, there's so much contention about prolonged grief disorder or, you know, even putting the word disorder and grief in the same sentence together. Um, So just before I, I launch into prolonged grief disorder, I think it's really important just to put a bit of context on grief, essentially. Grief is a normal adaptive response to loss. You know, if we lose something through death or the break, a breakup of a relationship or the end of a friendship, it's really normal to grieve. You know, grief is a normal adaptive response to loss. And when we have a loss, you know, a bereavement, for example, most of us 
you know, we'll experience the, that profound sense of grief in the early days, weeks, months, even years. Um, but bit by bit, we will integrate our grief. We don't get over grief. We don't move on from it. We don't let go of people we've loved in the past. We get used to it. It's like we're given this backpack and we're told, here's your grief, now learn to carry it. And, you know, in the early days, it can be really difficult. But as we grow, we grow around our grief, if you like, or we we learn to accommodate it, we learn to carry it. Um, we still have it. So, you know, just because somebody still gets upset three years down the line mm. or six years down the line, it doesn't mean they've got prolonged grief disorder. You know, grief is something that stays with us. Um, but we learn to manage it better, if that makes sense. We learn to accommodate it. We integrate it. So it it's like when people say, us. you know, time is a great healer, but, you know, it heals it in a way that, okay, you can, as you say, you can still live with it and you can still get on with your life. But I don't know if it's ever healed as such. You've still got that loss there in the back of your mind all the time. Exactly. It's, you know, if you want to use the analogy of a wound, you know, when we experience a fresh loss and for everybody, it's different. For some loss is just a scratch, you know, you know, um, you can experience a bereavement, but you're okay with it. You can integrate it quite quickly and to use the wound analogy it is just a scratch for somebody else depending on the type of loss or if it was expected it can be a gaping wound you know that can take a long time to start to knit together a long time to learn to live with um and and that does not necessarily mean that they have prolonged grief disorder when we look at what's going on, why this is still hurting, why this is taking longer to integrate. Usually there's really good reasons, you know, and with the right support and help, you know, people can can move forward with that loss. So what we know from statistics, um, this is the work of the Irish Hospice Foundation, they've developed a bereavement pyramid. And we know from research that Everybody, so 100% of people who are bereaved or going through a significant loss, everybody needs acknowledgement of their loss. They need support. They need community and they need information. You know, so here's what's normal. Here's what you can expect. Um, they need, you know, what, what you discussed before we went live about getting meals, having mm-hmm. friends around, being able to talk about what happened. That all helps us to process and integrate our loss. And we all need that. And most people will be okay. When I say okay, they will integrate their loss and process their loss um, over time as they move forward with just that sort of community support and, and I can't underestimate enough the importance of that. But some people will need more. Some people, for example, who've had a shocking loss or a sudden loss or an unexpected loss, or if a child dies or if it's out of the order of things or if there's been violence, um, some people, and not everybody, may need extra help. And we know that's about 30% of people. So they might need a voluntary group that supports people who've all been bereaved by suicide, for example, Mm. or who've all lost a child or um, who've experienced a miscarriage or a stillbirth. For example, people will tend to want to go and meet other people who've had similar losses. 30% is quite, quite a high number, actually, isn't it? 
It's actually a really substantial um, amount of people. When you think in Ireland every year around 29,000 people die, which means around 290,000 people are bereaved and you take 30% of that, you know, it's, it's a sizable chunk. Yeah. Do you think that that number has increased because of the pandemic? Because you were talking there about the community support and the support from friends and loved ones and family and those around you. But a lot of the time over the last two years, people didn't have those supports available to them. Yeah, yeah, really good point. So, you know, if we go 60%, we'll be okay with that community support. 30% might need a volunteer organisation which maybe they haven't been able to access because of the pandemic um, or they accessed it online. And then 10% in normal times will go on to need extra help for what we term prolonged grief disorder. And this is where grief really doesn't integrate. That wound is still gaping, oozing, really painful, that emotional wound, if you like, five years down the line, two years down the line, four years down the line. Like there's no part of it that's beginning to heal or beginning to be integrated. So it's not... They died last week. It's not for, like for somebody, it's not... Okay, we we all have moments where we get sad two or three years down the line or five years down the line. There may be an occasion or it could be a song that'll set us off. But are you talking about somebody who is just not able to to cope? They're not able to function on a day to day level. They're not able to put themselves into their work or they're not able to go out and meet people. And they're sitting around all day still staring at the wall or crying or whatever it is. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it's really important that listeners differentiate. Hmm. Just because someone cries uh, five years down the line because it's their loved one's birthday or it's Christmas, that is, that's normal. As we say, we know that grief endures and it just becomes integrated in our life, but it will still pop its head up in obvious or not so obvious ways around anniversaries or maybe you're buying pot noodle and your loved one loved pot noodle and it sets you off in Tesco four years down the line. Mm. That's okay. Like I really, really want to stress we don't pathologize that at all. That's very normal Um, uh, in an integrated grief. You know, what we're talking about is those early days after loss where you can't go to work you can't sleep maybe um all you think about is them you're yearning for them it's so difficult to accept this reality that the world is so different usually in time and with the right supports the volume of that response starts to go down as we integrate our grief but with prolonged grief disorder the volume doesn't go down it's as if their loved one died the week before in terms of the depth of upset, the inability to get on with life, maybe to go back to work, to see friends. It's life, life is unrecognizable. And in my experience, this isn't about going out and going, do you prolong grief or do you not? In my experience, people come to me going, help. It's been eight years. It's been five years is there anything else for me? You know, I don't want, you know, I can't get on with my life. I'm sitting at the sofa. My marriage is destroyed because of this. I feel so guilty because I feel like I've abandoned my other children. Some people could be retching. You know, it's, it's really physical. They could be vomiting on a regular basis, unable to keep down food. You know, some of these um, 
really intense symptoms that sometimes we can expect in fresh grief or acute grief shortly after a loss endure. They endure long term. And that's not normal. You know, that's not it's, I'm not saying it's abnormal. Usually there's really good reasons why someone can find themselves in this situation. But I suppose I say it in the context of if you're still acutely suffering like this years after a loss, there is help. Mm. You know, and of course, like grief affects everybody differently. So would there be a reason why somebody might not be able to move on five or six years down the line? Is it because of the type of death that you know, that their loved one experienced or is it um, something within themselves or, you know, I mean, I don't really want to be putting blame on somebody, but like, is there a reason why somebody may, you know, like I I might be still really, really upset about somebody eight years down the line, but my sister might have moved on and she's gone to work and, and whatever. Is there a reason why it might affect people differently? Yeah, really, really good question. And there's loads of different factors. And again, this isn't, it's nobody's fault. Nobody Mm. chooses this, you know, but also some of the messaging out there in society, you know, it can be quite damaging. And it's really important that anyone who suffered an extreme loss knows there is hope. There is hope that this will become bearable. This will become, you will be able to integrate it. You can experience joy again, despite having experienced a profound loss. That's really, really important. Um, Why does one person experience prolonged grief and another one doesn't? A myriad of reasons. Like what was their mental health like before the loss? Mm. Um, And and just when we say move on, we don't move on. We, We tend to move forward with We don't move on from someone we love. We move forward with them and we learn how to have a relationship with them um, without their physical presence. It's called continuing a bond. So some people manage to do that um, and others don't. Others just really want their loved ones back. And many people that I see who are looking for prolonged grief therapy, um, they, they say, unless you can bring them back, nothing can help me. You know, but usually it's there's a couple of reasons. Um, the loss has been out of the order of things. It's out of the natural life cycle. So we might often see it when a child has died. Um, usually it, it, it can be more common in women than in men. If there's been mental health struggles before the loss, um, of course, a profound loss is probably going to exacerbate that. Um, sometimes it's if the relationship wasn't good actually like sometimes if we've a really good loving relationship with someone and they die suddenly or 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 anticipated we can process it a little easier because we don't have regrets and Mm. we know we love them and they knew that and and so sometimes it can be when there's um, acrimony in the relationship but usually the things we hear are um I can't believe they're gone I can't believe they're gone and this might be four years later so on one level, their brain knows my my loved one is dead. But on another level, we just haven't accepted that reality. So we also hear a lot of, if only I'd phoned him that day. If yeah. only I didn't let him go to England. If only I had worn my jeans instead of my tracksuit, things might have been different. So we, it's like, you know, we're, we're still trying to bargain, if you like, that if I'd done something differently, there would have been a different outcome. They're the things we hear. We hear that 
yearning for them is still really strong. I just want them back. I just want them to be here. Somehow we know they're dead, but we haven't fully accepted that. And I don't mean we're okay with the fact they're dead. We mm. rarely are when it's someone has died prematurely. But we do accept it's real, that they're gone. Yeah, because even like when my mom died last year and uh, it was very, very sudden and I said to my husband at the time, because they were, my parents were supposed to come down to us for New Year's Eve and um, I was saying like, if we didn't have the lockdown, they would have been down with us and this wouldn't have happened. And he said, but you can't say that, like she could have been down in our house and it still would have happened or we could have been up there and it would have happened. He was like, you know, you can't think like that because you'll never get past it. Well, you know what, Fiona, like that's a really good example. And that's totally normal. Like we would all go through that if Mm. only or what if or should we have tried different medications or, you know, a degree of that is absolutely normal. It's but, you know, you're here talking to me. You're back at work. Mm. (laughs) You're married to your husband. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you're eating, you're drinking, you're you're laughing here with me. Like, you know, you're still clearly grieving your mom and it's. You know, it's still a profound experience because it's only been a year and a half, Mm -hmm. but you're functioning. And the difference with someone with prolonged grief disorder would be they still haven't got back to work. They don't know if they ever can. They're still asking a year and a half later, would she still be alive if she'd come to me that Christmas? You know, they're Mm -hmm. not able to access any part of themselves anymore that they used to be able to before the loss, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And like even, you know, like after my mom died, I had friends to talk to. I had friends who had gone through something similar and, you know, they were able to talk to talk me through it. And I was quite comfortable talking to them about it. But there are plenty of people out there who maybe don't know someone who's gone through the same thing or who don't feel comfortable about talking to somebody they know about what is going through their head at that point in time and they may not want to to burden other people with their problems. So is it like, would you advise those people to maybe seek a a grief counsellor or, as you said, a a charity organisation that might be able to help? Like in an ideal world, (laughs) we will all have a circle of friends who Mm -hmm. can listen to us. And you would know this. And, you know, as you know, my own father died last year as well. We all need to be able, especially when we're not expecting it, Like I was expecting my dad's death, Mm. you know, so it's a very different experience that we both had at the same time last year. And because I expected it, it was anticipated. I was there. There was so much I was able to do as psychological buffering for myself because I knew it was coming as opposed to your experience of it being so sudden and Mm. shocking and what that does to your nervous system. Um, but in an ideal world, you know, you probably would need to tell that story over and over again to try and make sense of it. Um, I didn't need to do that so much because I made sense of it as I went along because dad's death was anticipated. But we need to be those friends who sit and listen to it over and over again. We need to be the friends who don't try to fix it, don't give advice, don't try to make it better. You know, the friends who who just sit there and listen and accompany. Like grief needs to be accompanied. It doesn't need to be fixed. It's part of life. It's normal. It's natural. And we all need accompaniment for these times in our lives. Sadly, 
not all of us have access to people who will accompany us in our grief. Mm. Um, it tends to be the people who know grief because they've had a similar loss. So what we find in these situations is sometimes our closest friends are useless and they disappear. And people we really didn't expect, like Mary down the road, yeah. suddenly become our closest confidant because Mary down the road gets it. She's been through it. And she's probably going to give you what she needed and didn't get, you know. So we we need to watch out for that. Um, but if there isn't someone there, we all do need support. And it's unfortunate and sad if we have to pay for it. But it's a really good option if that, you know, if that's all we have. We all do need to process our grief. And if our friends aren't available, um, then, yeah, absolutely. A grief-informed therapist is really important Again, unfortunately, it's not just our regular friends who aren't grief aware or grief literate, but often a lot of counsellors and psychotherapists aren't either. So if anybody does go looking for counselling or psychotherapy, do make sure that whoever you're going to has done some sort of training in the area. Like there are no such thing as stages of grief, (laughs) you Mm. know. Um, And unfortunately, many psychotherapists and counsellors are still working with that model Um, because we just don't have standards in Ireland and bereavement standards. And it's something that I'm trying to change through my programme, Shapes of Grief. It's an education programme trying to get people who are supporting the bereaved to be trained in the basics of how to do that. And can people get your Shapes of Grief programme online? I know you have a podcast as well that people might find very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, going back to the Irish Hospice Foundation pyramid where 100% of bereaved people just need acknowledgement of their loss. They need it validated, normalised. The podcast Shapes of Grief is a brilliant way of of, uh, uh, getting that level one support because, you know, you can listen to other people's stories and you can go, okay, this is normal. She felt that too or he felt that too. Um, So that's a really good way for people to get level one support And then level two support that, you know, smaller percent of people, um, either if you're a professional working with people who are grieving, you can do the course to learn how to support people better. But also if you're someone who's grieving and you're just interested in learning more about the process, it's very accessible. Like I know me in my life when I'm going through some sort of a difficult time, one of the ways that I address that is by learning about, well, what am I going through? Is there, are there labels for this? Is there a narrative for this? Who else knows about this? And I might, you know, listen to podcasts or do a training course in a specific area. Um, because when I can understand what I'm going through, it empowers me. It normalizes it. So for anyone who is grieving and feels they would like to understand the process, you know, it is an accessible course for regular people, not just professionals. It's an information program, brief information. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line, Liz. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people out there listening this morning who will find this very beneficial. I hope so. And, and just to reiterate, Fiona, you know, grief goes on a long time and it goes on forever for many people. You know, the little bit you've shared with me about your mom, you're going to miss her. probably but it doesn't mean your grief will be crippling forever it's when it becomes really crippling that we know that there's the more support is needed and and there is hope for you your grief does not have to be on top of you 
for the rest of your life. You can emerge from it and breathe again. Um, and that's a message of hope that I really want people to hear. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back to the last hour of the Opinion Line on this Thursday morning. Fiona sitting in for PJ today and tomorrow and PJ will be back, of course, on Tuesday. Now, if you're thinking of heading out over the weekend uh, for a bite to eat, and of course we can do that now, which is great. And if a burger is your preferred choice of food, then you might want to head over to Son of a Bun, where they have their latest um, super burger. Good morning, Craig. Horgan. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Craig, I think Son of a Bun is famous around Cork now for the loaded burgers. Um, and the latest one is, um, it's a masterpiece in burger making, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I would say that too. And so this burger, just describe it to your listeners or to our listeners, please. What exactly is in this burger, the latest loaded, loaded burger? Of course, no problem. So um, this month, we actually launched it only Monday of this week. Mm. So you have between two brioche buns, you have two three-ounce beef patties. Uh, They both have slices of cheese, American cheese on them. And then above the beef patties, you have a mixture of our fries that are smothered in a cheese fondue with jalapenos, spring onion, and then bacon on top with a bit of garlic aioli to finish it off. Right, and I was looking at the video of it last night and um, yeah. it's fairly massive, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> we, try, we try to make all of our new burgers of the month quite massive, you know, bang for your buck. <laughs> and I was looking at it like, I have to admit, I've never had one of your loaded burgers, but um, I mean, I'm not the, <laughs> I'd be fairly messy anyway at the best of times, but like <laughs> trying to get that into my mouth, all I could envision was uh, the cheese sauce and the chips going all over my hair and my face and my clothes and everything else. <laughs> but um, there are it's, it's a really popular choice for so many different people. Why is it so popular, do you think? I mean, I think it's just our, like, I think what attracts a lot of people is, especially our loaded burgers, our burger of the month. Every month we, we try our best to bring something new and different and something that's kind of not been done before, mm. which I think is a great attraction. I mean, people will come in every month and just without even reading the the new burger of the month they'll say I'll have it I'll try it I'll yeah. go for it you know yeah um but yeah it's 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 fantastic and how do you decide then what goes into it like how on earth do you come up with you know cheese fondue and whatever else you know <laughs> and then chips with the aioli and um, jalapenos like how do you know that that together is going to be a really good combination so it's actually usually like halfway through um, the month um, the owners of the business come together with our head chef and all of our team in the kitchen and they start just trialing things it's just a load of trial and error just putting random things together um, it's pretty pretty great I mean they'll try and mix everything and then it's mm. a lot of tasting in the mornings making sure it tastes perfect leading up to the next month 
And uh, yeah, it's so, you know, does it have to get the go ahead then of the whole team? Like what are, you know, if, if one or two people said, no, listen, that's not for me. It's, uh, you know, it's all just a, a load of ideas coming together until you come up with the perfect combination. Yeah. So um, it's everyone really gets to try it uh, in the mornings when when they're trialing everything together. We kind of get the opinion of everybody that works here. Mm. Um, and then when we kind of land on an idea, it's more kind of refining the idea then for the remainder of the time. And everyone kind of has input. It's really it's really great. And you said there that you change it every month then. So, you know, there's a yeah. lot of um, there's a lot of planning and there's a lot of different ingredients all coming together there. So, like, is there ever a month where you just think, oh, right, we've completely run out of ideas here? <laughs> you might think so, but <laughs> there's actually there's actually so many different flavor combinations that you can come up with. Like mm. if you if you've ever been in our restaurant, yes, we have okay. every burger of the month mm. that we've had since we've opened in our hallway just hung up so there's been countless numbers of burgers yeah. um, and we still have we still have quite a few more ideas as well coming up for the year so and when people come in when customers come in do they give you suggestions that you take on board as well absolutely so um like on our on our tables we have little comment cards where customers can leave their feedback or their ideas uh, we look through all of these and mm. some customers actually have really, really good ideas for flavor combinations. So if you're ever up for uh, suggesting a burger, feel free to leave your feel free to leave your suggestion. And if any of our listeners have any kind of uh, combinations <laughs> that they'd like to see in sort of a bun, they can let us exactly. know on 0818969696 or 0833969696. And um, Craig, just with regards to burgers and, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think every restaurant is always going to have the the traditional cheeseburger or the cheese and, cheese and bacon burger and the chicken burger. Mm-hmm. But like, um, what trends are you noticing in burgers? Like, are, or is there such a thing like, or, you know, I mean, like there for a while we had black pudding on a burger and then, you know, there might have been different types of cheese on a burger. So, you know, is there new trends coming up now for the coming months? Um, at the moment, there's none that we we've noticed really we we get we get quite a mixture of everything like you said there with black pudding mm. like we have a lot of we have a lot of different ingredients in our kitchen so a lot of customers come in and they take you know like you said they take your classic burger your classic cheeseburger and they could just throw whatever they wanted they could add black pudding bacon feta cheese anything anything at all they want to add but you can completely customize your burger so for us in here there's no real trend at the moment it's kind of just Whatever you feel like you're having, you can go for it. Okay. And with this latest loaded burger, what kind of reaction has it been getting from the public? It's been it's been really, really fantastic. Um, yeah. We started on Monday. Um, actually, on Sunday evening, we were finishing up our last burger of the month. And we had a few customers come in because they had seen it on Instagram yeah. um, that we were launching the new one. And they had come in asking for this burger. So when we launched it on Monday... It had great reception. We were incredibly busy and we've been busy all week specifically for this burger. Um, people love it. I mean, we're, I mean, you've fries in your burger. Where can you go wrong? <laughs> and do you get a portion of fries <laughs> with it then as well? <laughs> <laughs> Our burgers come on their own, but a lot of people tend to get the fries on the side as well. Yeah, you, you can never have too much food, you know. <laughs> and what about yourself? What do you think of it? <laughs> oh, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I'm a massive fan of anything cheese and anything 
fries. So yeah, and there's a lot of cheese on this. <laughs> there is quite a bit of cheese. Yes, <laughs> Craig. I just want to have you um, over in the yes. UK. They're talking about bringing in uh, calorie counts on menus over there. Is that something that you'd be in favour of bringing over here? Given the fact that you know there is so much cheese and stuff on the burger, do you think that it would be good, or do you think that people coming in know that okay? This isn't like, you know, there's there's a lot of fat and cheese, um, but I'd prefer not to know the calories that are going to be in it. I'd prefer to just sit down and enjoy it. I mean, it, it's not something that we've considered um, mm. bringing it in, you know, for for customers to, to ask and see about. But I do understand there are a lot of people that would be a bit more conscious about calories and calorie counting. Mm. So it is something we could consider over the next few months. But then again, as well, you know, I mean, if you're going out for dinner, I mean... You might as well just go go hell for leather and just That's eat whatever it. you want, you know? Yeah, I think when you're going out for dinner, especially if it's only like, you know, an occasional exactly, treat, yeah. you're, you're going to try and have something that you're not really going to make at home and that you're not going to be worried about, exactly. you know, just going to be sitting back and enjoying it. Enjoying it, exactly. Hmm. Brilliant. Listen, Craig, best of luck with it. I'll have to pop in now and get one of them myself. <laughs> Absolutely. That's manager of Son of a Bone here on McCartan Street, Craig Horgan. Thank you very much for that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Welcome back. Fiona in for PJ today. Mary says, um, with regards to the loaded burgers from Son of a Bun, she says the burgers sound amazing. Do they deliver? Um, I think they do, Mary. I think you can order online with Deliveroo or Just Eat. Um, but if if they want to let us know, then that would be great. They can get in touch with us again. And with regards to the conversation I had about grief, Dee says, maybe Fiona might like a cup. A cuppa. Uh, grief's like a pill forever dissolving. Thank you, Dee. Yeah, a cup is always nice and Mary has been in touch to say hi Fiona I'm so sorry for your loss thank you Mary um, and she says thank you for the bereavement talk this morning you asked some great questions can you tell me what course on learning about grief Liz is talking about Mary it was a course called Shapes of Grief um, and Liz has a podcast on Shapes of Grief that you might find interesting and um, she has launched the course in grief and training as well so um, that's Shapes of Grief and uh, her name is Liz Gleeson and just with regards to any of the topics that we've been talking about on the show this morning you will of course be able to get the podcast of the show later on on our website 96fm.ie also if you've got a new smartphone or tablet then grab the must-have app so you can take us everywhere. Download the Cork's 96FM app now and listen to your favourite shows on the go and if you have a smart speaker remember you can ask it to play Cork's 96FM. Cork's 96FM is the home of even more music choice streaming online all the time. The Fit Mix plays the best tunes for your workout and Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix brings you the freshest new music non-stop. Listen on our phone app, play us on your smart speaker or go to 96FM.ie E. Now, there's an event coming up that's aimed at um, parents and teachers and those working in the childcare sector, and it's called Roofed by the Sky. And joining me to talk a little bit about it is author of 15 Minute Parenting Tips, and she's a psychotherapist and attachment specialist, Joanna Fortune. Good morning, Joanna. 
Good morning, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well. Joanna, roofed by the sky. Just tell me a little bit about the event, first of all. I think it's a really exciting event to, to have something like this that's going to celebrate our play in the natural environment, getting outside. It's obviously held in a beautiful venue in, in Fota and it's going to be a great way of bringing together everybody who has a vested interest in early years education. And like you just listed there, that's parents, early years educators, childcare providers, anyone who is seeing and invested in the early growth and development of our children and really celebrating and highlighting the importance of outdoor play as being a fundamental part of that. It's something we don't really get to talk about enough and this mm. is a great opportunity to do it. And why is it so important for children to be outdoors and to play outdoors? Well, it's gosh, there's so many benefits of it. You know, we look at things, everything from growth, motor skills, climbing, running, jumping, rolling, splashing, all of that that they get to do. But also it helps them to get outside, change the field of vision, really reorganize their physical environment in getting them from indoors into that outdoor space. Now, look, that's really great if you have access like to a garden or your own outdoor space at home. But of course, not everybody has that. So you might be using more public shared green spaces and making sure you know where those are. You'll always know as a parent when are the busy times and the quiet times and the good opportune times to get there. But our children need waves of activity, Fiona, in their day. They need waves of mild, moderate and high levels of activity. And I don't mean all the time by high activity that they need to be, you know, swinging out of the trees or at least not mm. not just swinging out of the trees. A bit of swinging out of trees is no harm as well. But they need those experiences at understanding the world outside of them, at orienting themselves in their physical space. And they get to discover so much, you know, test their physical limits, take risks you know, such as the climbing piece or really creating something, making mud pies, digging holes, all of those really basic things that in, you know, as adults listening to this, you might be thinking, gosh, we did all of that as kids and there was never a need for an event or a conference about it. But it's something that we're seeing children aren't getting enough of, particularly young children who don't need one outdoor experience in their day. They need to Mm -hmm. be returning to the outdoors multiple times in their day. Would the weather be a factor in that, Joanna, in the fact that, you know, in Ireland, you know, the weather might not be appealing <laughs> to get outside. Um, but, you know, should we still be sending them out in the rain? I mean, I'm going to say yes. So I also, I'm talking to you now, my professional hat on as mm. well as my parent hat. I do understand when you're going, oh, I, I mean, I get it, Joanna, but I really just don't want to go out there in the rain. Yeah. I totally get it. But in in our country, when the weather is so unpredictable, when we have a disproportionate amount of so-called bad weather, we cannot let that inhibit our children getting outdoors. It's much more important that we dress them appropriately so that they can still get out and play. And children love puddles. They love to, they don't see mm. rain as a block to play. They see it as, oh, it's raining. There's going to be a new exciting way to play. So we all need to get the wellies and the rain max and just get out there. It's part of the fun. I think they need to be out appropriately dressed now and again I would include the really good weather in that we obviously need sun hats and sun cream but we modify how we engage with our environment so that we still can.
And Joanna, um, I, I know that uh, the Roofed by the Sky team have said that nature could be the missing link to wellness. And I know even from myself as an adult, if I'm sitting indoors all day and I feel um, like I'm really tired and I'm really drained, but, and the last thing you might want to do is go out and go for a walk. You know, you just automatically think I want to go to bed. But um, I know myself that if I go out for a walk, uh, I feel so much better after it. Is it something similar like that with a child? I mean, it really is. And I think, you know, too much of the indoor play, there isn't enough wave of energy. Think of it like a regulatory roller coaster. We want to bring kids up in their energy and then know how we're bringing them back down. That's why they need those mild, moderate and high levels. And getting outdoors is a great way to reset a busy you know, either overstimulated brain or equally some, you know, when we're understimulated, we can get a bit irritable and spacey and zoned out and disconnected. It's a great way to bring us to that optimum level of arousal. Great example you've just given about getting up and going for a walk. And I always think a small language shift with that is helpful that instead of saying, oh, I have to get up and go for a walk. <laughs> if we say to ourselves, oh, I get to go for a walk. Even that small shift of positive reframing can make it seem like something that we are choosing to do rather than having to do. It's about enjoyment, not enduring it. And with children, it's the same. They need to get out there. They need to feel the air, even the rain on their skin. They need to run. They need to jump. They need to be able to crash into things, fall over, learn how to fall a bit better. They need to have those adventures that the outdoor environment can give them. And it's so rich at fueling imagination because they can pick up sticks and they stick can become anything. It can become a magic wand, it could be a sword, it could be something that can be thrown and caught. They can do lots of things with sticks, leaves, acorns, conkers, things that are in their environment that they have to then use their imagination to create meaning with. So that's something the outdoors can give us free of charge, no need to spend anything on expensive toys, letting them dig and make a mud puddle, make mud pies. All of that is so, so good for them. And Joanna, um because the because nature and the environment is so important in a child's wellness and development, how important then is it to get them to understand about climate change from an early age? I mean, I know that in primary schools in particular, they do teach them about recycling and reusing. Um, so that's obviously very important for as a very important message to get out there to children. Oh, I agree. I think it's essential. I think climate change is something our children are really aware of. I think it's children and young people who have been actually carrying the burden, the psychological burden, as well as the responsibility of trying to educate us adults and call us out and Get, you know, shame us into action, which they shouldn't have had to do. So I think talking about climate change, but again, offering that and not to minimize the seriousness of it, because I think children are very aware of how serious this is. They don't need us to scare us, scare them into understanding that. But we do need to offer some hope. We do need to offer some solutions. And with young children, the best way to do that is using the language of play. You teach them about the world outside of them and around them. You teach them them about their environment by immersing them in playful experiences in that landscape and I think it's a really good way to do it. And how, so as a parent then like what would be your best advice to a parent um, you know to try and get that message out to them because you know like in school obviously they're able to demonstrate mm. through art and you know they yeah. put up pictures and they might have little videos and stuff like that but as a parent then um, is it just a case of when you're out and about 
trying to teach them to put litter into the bin properly and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And leading by positive example in that regard, letting them see you do it and then you name why you're doing it and why it's a great idea and you praise their effort over outcome as well. I think another fun way of doing it, Fiona, is to actually, you know, go on a hunt for any empty packaging around your house, maybe cardboard boxes, bottle tops, you know, foil. Make sure, obviously, they're clean and free from sharp edges, but then make a a waste masterpiece. You know, you can fashion those items into toys. For example, here we used some empty washed out tin cans and a few bits. We made finger drums. We made some percussion instruments. And that was all out of household waste. I think that's a really good way of doing it. I think you could do simple things at home, like um, taking plastic bottles, rolls of newspaper and using them to make plant pots. And then you can get a bit of soil and plant some seeds that they can nurture mind and watch grow. Mm. You could also make sure those are things that you can then use in food, um, empty glass jars, using them as food containers, um, teaching about recycling by looking at the symbols on packaging and promoting mending and fixing rather than replacing, you know, when it comes to clothes or toys. I think, you know, you could also obviously compost your food. I think most people are doing that. But you could consider building your own wormery. I know people would be going, no, too far, too far. I'm not doing that. But (laughs) kids would love doing that. And, you know, learning about the environment and looking at insects and building things like that. There's so much you could do with it. Yeah, my children were trying to build a wormery and uh, they were using one of the lunchboxes and I was (laughs) biting my lip going, yeah, that's great. Oh, how wonderful play. (laughs) (laughs) But it is, as you say, I mean, like, you know, they're, they're really happy when they're doing that, when they're getting stuck in even if we're not uh, <laughs> we're looking at oh my god we're going to have to do so much washing now after this but uh, <laughs> and that's our adult lens isn't it because children <laughs> yeah. don't see that they see this isn't mud this isn't this is a potion <laughs> I'm in charge here I'm doing magic and I think even when we're out around our physical environment going for a walk you know you wrap everyone up and you get out come on we're going for mm. a walk and by the time you've negotiated bikes and scooters and puppies and kids and everything that's going with you you're going why did I begin this but <laughs> While you're out there, put a bit of a playful spin on it and say, you know, every time we see a red car, we have to jump up and down three times. Every Mm. time we see a bike, we have to spin around or hop on one leg and you make it a little bit more playful. Or even if you were to draw out, just take a a sheet of A4 paper and break it into six boxes and put down things you'd find, a red leaf, a stone, um, a couple of little bits from the environment, um, a number of cars or a number of bikes things that they've to see and now you've made it an orienteering activity and Joanna the Roofed by the Sky event it takes place as you said in uh, Fota Island Resort on the 10th of May and people need to sign up beforehand to register do they? Yes, so you can go to the Roofed by the Sky website where all of the information is. That's where you can get your tickets and find out all about what's going on. I will be there on Tuesday the 10th of May. I'll be giving a talk at 7.30pm. I think it's going to be in the Smith Barry room of Photo Island Resort and I'll really be talking about a bit like we've been talking about Mm. but more into the importance of outdoor play in children's growth and development but I'm going to talk about how time outdoors really nurtures our inner world so we're using the outdoors to grow the inside as well and our emotional well-being and I'm really looking forward to it I think it's going to be a great event. And if any parents have any questions that they'd like you to address they can contact you beforehand. 
So you can make contact through the website Roofed by the Sky. If anybody wants to find me on social media, Fiona, like my Instagram is at Joanna Fortune and you can always DM a question that you'd like addressed on the day and I'll make sure I weave it in or I, I you know, I can always address this um, on my podcast either if there is something about, oh, I'd love to know more about this specifically, please do let us know that. But yeah, I, I would always encourage people for this event to get to the website. Everything you need to know is up there. Now, as I said at the start of the show, Saturday, <clears throat> this weekend, Saturday the 15th, is World Circus Day. And if you have an interest in the circus, uh, there are a couple of different events that are happening in Cork over the weekend. One of them is a family-friendly event and the other two then are for adults only. And joining me now from the Circus Factory Cork is Cormac Mohaly. Good morning, Cormac. You well. How are you, Cormac? How are you? Hello, can you hear us? good, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Uh, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can indeed, yeah. You seem to be hard at work there, putting all of this together for the the circus event on Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's loads happening, actually. We've got, like, three shows for kids, which is called a Superstar Circus, which is a new show. It's actually one of the first Circus Factory actual in-house productions Mm -hmm. where we're using three of our youth tutors to put on, like, a short 20-minute show using the equipment that we will then use in a circus disco. Because okay. things like hula hoop, um, we have a little history lesson about hula hoop. Did you know hula hoop is about f- um, dates back to 500 BC? No, I didn't. But it was know actually, that. yeah, it goes back that far. And um, it was there was an American lady who was with a company called Whammo. No, the wife of somebody from Whammo in the states. Mm-hmm. She went to Australia, and they were using hula hoops out of bamboo in gym classes there. And she came back, and it was an American company, Whammo that like does a couple, I can't remember the other toys I had, but the hula hoop was their most successful and they patented it in the 1950s and then there was a huge craze. Yeah. Um, so we all think that that hula hoop, plastic hula hoop, it actually, but it goes back years. It's like, it's like that classic um, playing with a, with a circle and a stick, do you know? Um, so the, the, the show is kind of based around really simple circus tricks and skills so that then we go, and now you can try it. Right. Because what kids, you know, you, you you watch the show, you go, I want to try that, I want to try that. And then we go, yeah, you, yes, you can. Never mind the kids, the adults as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why it's like a family show, because um, we sometimes do family circus days every mm-hmm. now and then. We've got our youth circus where it's just the kids come, they learn the skills, they get really good. But then we've got family circus, which is where kids and parents do it together. Like, who doesn't want to see a 40-year-old man hula hooping? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And Cormac, (laughs) so the Superstar Circus then, that is the first event. And that kicks off at, there's one at 2pm, one at 3.30pm and one at 4pm and one's worth key. And then uh, that leads then into the disco workshop. Yeah, immediately. So it's like a 20 minute show with a 40 minute disco, a circus disco. Like it's an informal workshop where just you just try it out. Do you know what I mean? There's no it's just everybody give it a go. Do you know, there's, you can't do anything wrong when you're playing with a soft ball or a plastic hoop. Do you know? Okay. Um, and then there's two adult only events. So tell me about the first one, Under the Stars Cabaret. That's at 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So thanks to, thanks to the funding to Fuin Spare and the collaboration with Cork City Council, uh, Wanders for Key, Backwater Artist Group, um, Printmaker and Lava Gallery, we're able, we've did a call out a few about two months ago to people who've got acts. So we've got seven circus acts, ranging from doubles, aerial trapeze, to silks, hoop, um, contact juggling, um, a, a kind of a magic poi act. 
so yeah, we're paying all the artists um, fair, you know, pay the artists fairly type thing. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, we're keeping the ticket price really low. Yeah. Right. And it's just to celebrate World Circus Day. And uh, it's BYOB. And there is, so, okay, BYOB. And you can also, there's another event as well called Digital Stations of the Cross. What's that about? Uh-huh. So that is, you know, the last time we had a cabaret, big cabaret, Mm. was um, New Year's Eve 2019. And uh, who knew that would be the last, it would be nearly two and a half years before we could have uh, kind of a big show, um, you know, no holes barred, and then have a a bit of a party afterwards. Because, Mm. you know, circus is about dedication, but sometimes, like everybody, we like to have a bit of a staff party. And you know what? We haven't had one in a while. So it's a public event. Um, Tickets are selling, and it is in our space. So it's not outside. And we're going to have, it's mainly we're creating a dance floor so we can all blow off a little bit of steam. But we'll also have a little, we'll, we'll have our own space. So we're going to have some wall running by Linda and we're going to actually have um, a spoken word piece at about half 11. So that's, okay. that also is a BYOB thing. So like, look, we're having a long day of shows. And then we're having a party and everybody's invited, basically. Sounds fantastic. Well, everybody, every, everybody up to a capacity of 100. OK, so tickets yeah. are selling for all of these events. So if they sell out, they sell out. Right. And if you haven't got your ticket, then what were you doing? <laughs> and Cormac um, all of these events are supported by Backwater Artist Group Cork Printmakers Lava Gallery and Cork City Council supported through Arts Council um, so listen best of luck with that people can get tickets still if they want where can they get the tickets from? Well, well there's we have Eventbrite that's where the tickets okay. are all selling through but if they want to find out more about Circus Factory and everything we do it's circusfactorycork.com and then we have an events page where there's a link through to everything you know so like you could find out about our youth classes our adult classes what we do for artists because we actually there's um there's a guy over here I'm in this Circus Factory now and there's a guy he just did a residency with a big tie yeah. wire and he's trying to put it together after his residency and um, so that's why you might hear some banging in the background Brilliant um, So we do we do loads of stuff Great. it's actually there's too much really that's why we've got a very in-depth website yeah. lovely alright okay Cormac Moholy yeah. from the Circus Factory in Cork thanks so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM with the Cork City Marathon take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team register at corkcitymarathon.ie can we just talk the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. Experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and Paris. With Blackpool Shopping District. No gimmicks, no notions, no pay parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. When you're closer, give me the shivers. Cork's 96FM. And Cork's 96FM loves Ed Sheeran. So to celebrate his return to Leaside, we want to send you and a friend to see him twice. Parky Cueve on April 29th and then once again in the City of Love, Paris on July 30th. Listen to Cork's 96FM from Tuesday, April 19th. Every time we play an Ed Sheeran song between 7am and 7pm weekdays, text or WhatsApp for your chance to win. Flights, accommodations, spending money and tickets to experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and Paris with Blackpool Shopping Centre. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best, only on Cork's 96FM. 
And uh, Billy McGailey, BMG, will you be playing Ed Sheeran up on the mountain? <laughs> um, it's a possibility. <laughs> Probably not, though. Good morning, Billy. Uh, Billy McGailey, BMG, uh, well-known DJ around Cork. Uh, you're doing something really, really unusual um, tomorrow, is it? April 15th, is that? Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow, yeah. So you are bringing your decks up onto the top of character of um, Karen Tuhill. <laughs> Karen Tuhill, yeah. So just explain why you're doing that. So, yeah, I wanted to try and... There's a lot of good things happening, obviously, um, in relation to what's happening in Ukraine. And I wanted to kind of do what I'm good at and try and give something back. So I'd always kind of remarked that it would be cool to do something up there. Um, mm. You know, I've been up there a few times and uh, I just got a brainwave one night to try and do it. So, yeah, it's it's all made of the Irish Red Cross. So it's a charity event. And, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It hasn't been, like, the other cool thing about this is it hasn't been done before. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be unique in that sense as well, which is, it's always nice to be able to do something that's different. And, Billy, you're going to be bringing the decks up on top of the mountain and you're going to be doing a set up there. Now, are other people coming along with you or are you going to be streaming it so people can just watch it from home? Or what way is it going to work? Yeah, there's a very small group of us um, who are going uh, up the mountain together and um, the whole idea is that people can kind of, you know, when we're streaming and it's going to be kind of hopefully at sunrise, which is just before seven in the morning. So we don't expect a whole pile of people to be up too early, but it will be recorded. You'd be surprised, Billy. You'd be surprised. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the plan would be to obviously stream it and then have the video recorded as well so we can upload it after as well. So people who are able to see this, we were bringing, um, we've really high quality camera we've got a drone coming as well so there'll be a lot of content shot up there as well so um if people don't aren't up early in the morning they can still you know check it out after it sounds amazing how long is the set going to be good question it's very weather depending um obviously if it's not good up there we're going to get up and down as fast as we can if the weather is some bit better you know i'll get to play a little bit longer but you know obviously safety is paramount Mm. so we just need to make sure that it's safe to do it and um obviously there's electrical stuff involved as well so um i don't want to be getting (laughs) right up the top of the mountain so yeah and just on the issue of safety i mean you know in my younger days i would have thought nothing about climbing up a mountain with a, a deck and going for a bit of a dance but now um as a parent I obviously think safety first, but you know, you know, climbing up a mountain in itself can be a, a risky business. But bringing decks and all of that equipment up as well, like, is it a dangerous operation, or have you had advice on on what to do? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a very streamed down set. Um, I'm not taking anything that's big and bulky. It's very, you know, everything you can carry, it's all lightweight stuff. So it wouldn't be my typical setup that I would take to an event, we'll say, mm. that I was doing. It's a very small setup. Um, we're all sitting backpacks. There's battery operated stuff as well just to, you know, minimize any power. Mm. So it's all, you know, I've all, I've all kind of laid out and all planned. So yeah, we've like, we're all experienced climbers as well. And we've done the current tool quite a bit so there's no kind of issue from that sense but yeah. obviously there's been a bit of planning and thought has gone into this to make sure it is safe so it's all been kind of accounted for. Absolutely fantastic and you know you were saying that it's never been done before like what, what gave you the idea to do this? I know you were saying that you've climbed the mountain before but like um, you know to, to, to play a set up there like what, where did this whole idea come from? So I think it was during lockdown when everyone was doing it. I was up there and I got really lucky that the weather was unbelievable and like I could see into West Cork, see across into North Kerry. Um, and I was like, this would be unbelievable to play a few tunes up here. And I kind of said it jokingly. Yeah. 
And then with all the, the cool stuff that's been happening for charity events, for helping, you know, Ukraine. Um, I know one of my friends took a bus out there and brought back some people and it was like really cool. So he kind of inspired me to do something. Mm. And I was just like, work one night and I was like, this is a no-brainer. Like, just, you know, put in the work, get it done and it's going to be really cool. It'll help people and kind of inspire more people to do more cool stuff as well, you know, which is the name of the game. And if people do want to support you, you said it's for the Irish Red Cross. Like, have you got a page that they can go on to? Absolutely, there is a GoFundMe. Uh, it's the, if you type in, I go to GoFundMe, and then it's Ireland's highest DJ set will bring it up. Um, it's there's links on my social channels as well. So my business will be BMG Sound. Mm-hmm. So we're on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and the links are all there as well. If people want to click in via social media, but a search will bring it up as well. And Billy, how's business going now that things are all back open again and stuff? I mean, I suppose like any musician and any artist, you were hit quite badly over the two years of the pandemic. But how are things now? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good point you make there. Um, Obviously, when you're ground, (laughs) like we were, um, I kind of did say to myself, like if I got, if I was able to stay running and stay going, that I would try and start doing more cool stuff. So this is kind of part of that as well. But business is really good. Yeah, like it's great to see people back out dancing and full dance floors and people enjoying themselves. You know, it's, it's been really good and we're on for a really good year and long may it last. Fantastic, fantastic. Listen, uh, best luck with it. You said there is a group going up with you. So are you heading up tomorrow evening and staying up there then and setting up all the equipment and then playing then before seven o'clock on Saturday morning or are you going up tonight and playing before seven o'clock tomorrow yeah, it's tonight, so we're so tonight. starting at 3.30, 3.30, yeah, so we're going to climb in the dark as well, which will be kind of cool. I've done that before as well. It's um, a really cool experience. So we've all got all the headlights and all that kind of stuff uh, for ourselves. We'll be up starting at half three and then up and set up before sunrise. So the plan is to start the stream just before the sunrise, so hopefully you'll catch it and see it as well. Right. I'll, I'll watch it here in the office when I'm preparing for the show tomorrow. <laughs> hopefully there's no clouds. <laughs> I know. I think we had Alan O'Reilly on the, the Carlo Weatherman um, this morning and he was saying that I think tonight is going to be okay and tomorrow is going to be okay in the morning. So you might you might be okay. You might get away with it. Fingers and toes crossed here anyway, don't worry. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, best of luck for, with that, Billy. And if anybody wants to watch it again, then where did you say it's going to be on your page? Is that right? Yeah, BMG Sound. Um, we're on all the socials, so I'll be posting as I start to kind of start the adventure tomorrow morning. I'll be posting, and then it'll be kind of po- posted back up after. So YouTube and Facebook and all the kind of videos. So people, there'll be plenty of content generated after. We're car- like we'll be capturing a lot of stuff, so there'll be plenty to see. Brilliant, fair play to you. Listen, Billy, thanks a million. Best of luck with it and stay safe. Thanks, Fiona. <laughs> All right, that's Billy McGailey, BMG. Um, he's going to be playing a set up on the mountain in Carring Hill Tonight, just in relation to my conversation with Joanna about the roof by the sky, Dee says, we still do that as adults. If we spot a yellow car, you have to be the first to shout cheese and wheels. Um, with regards to the loaded burger, Denise has been in touch to say, reference to that burger, is there an ambulance on standby? Um, somebody else has said gourmet burgers are getting out of control in Cork. My neighbour was telling me he ordered the Spanish burger and it came topped with avocado, paprika and the last two chapters of Don Quixote. Completely unreadable, outrageous. Thank you so much for getting in touch with us here on the Opinion Line this morning. I'll be back again tomorrow. Thanks for the, to the team, Fergal Barry, Richard Vickery and Wayne Hilton. Enjoy the rest of your day. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.